you ever lose your self-confidence? Your sense of self-sufficiency? Maybe there was a time where you thought you were all that. Where you thought you could get it done. And all this and something happened. And after that, uh, you were like a, a bird with a broken tail feather and you're just not flying anymore. Something happened, you're not trying again, you're not getting back up. And I think that's where Moses is at in this story. We're in Exodus uh, chapter 3, and this is the episode of the the burning bush. We're going to be talking about that, kind of wrap our minds around. One thing I've been thinking of this whole week is, why was it a bush? I mean, maybe you hear this story and you don't think about it too much, but why, why a bush of all things? I'm trying to wrap my mind around that, but also what, is it, what does it teach us? And here in Exodus 3, and again, I hope that you will turn to that in, in, uh, in the Bible so you can follow along with this. You'll get the most out of it if you do that. There is a Bible in the pew in front of you that you can turn to, Exodus' second book. And if you use the Pew Bible, it's probably on page uh, 46. But last time, we saw that the Hebrew people, they were in slavery in Egypt. They had been there for 400 years at this point, uh, calling out to God, wondering, is he ever going to answer them? Is he ever going to respond? But through this, we see that God had a plan, that his great, uh, his sovereignty, his, his providence was greater than any of these wicked plans of the, the pharaohs and the kings that came along. And that God did know. It, it ended in chapter 2 with these great words saying that during the many days, the king of, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob, And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. That God knew what was going on in their lives. God knows what is going on in your life. Even better than we do at times. He knows our our, our hurt. He knows our our groaning. And he is a God that is active. And he's going to show that to Moses. Moses had been uh, preserved from uh, from death, his mother uh, put him in the, in the Nile among the reeds and he was found by the uh, Pharaoh's daughter who raised him as her own child. So he was being raised in the, uh, in the palace. He was being raised among the Egyptians. Uh, I think we have good reason to believe that possibly even to one day become Pharaoh himself. He was raised in all the, the education and the learning of the Egyptians. He was somebody with great great self-confidence because of the the privileges and everything that he had going for him. But of course, privilege can uh, lead to a lot of pride. And we see here God had to break him of that, to use him in the way that God wanted to use him. In the episode last week that uh, Moses, learning that he was a Hebrew and having a sense of his calling to deliver people, uh, he took matters into his hands. He ends up killing an Egyptian and trying to cover that up, and he, he can't, and it's, it's found out, and uh, the people don't respond in the way that he, th- he thought they would, and he realizes that he is going to be a wanted man, and he flees from Egypt. And it says he, he fled all the way to, to Midian, so hundreds of miles away across uh, the Sinai Desert into to Midian. There he ends up settling down, getting married, starting to raise a family, 
probably thinking, I've, I've screwed up. I was supposed to be used by God, but I, I've blown it, and I'm just going to be in the penalty box for the rest of my life. There was no indication that he thought God was ever going to use him again. And the years went by, and he just settled into this new life and being a, a shepherd for his father-in-law. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 3 today. And I think one thing we're going to see is that just like Moses, his, his self-confidence had been shattered. He had been brought to a place of, of no confidence. And the world will tell us it's one of two things. It's either you need self-confidence or you have no confidence and you have to pick between the two. And we're going to see that biblically, the correct answer is none of the above. That it's not a matter that the, the cure for this over-self-confidence is no confidence. And it's not that the cure for no confidence is, well, you've got to have better self-confidence. We're going to see there's, there's none of the above. There's something else. There's an option C that God wants us to know about and God wanted Moses to learn about. So let's read along here. And we'll divide this up into two sections. In the first section, we're going to see that the Lord reveals himself to Moses in the flames of a bush that was burning but not burning up. Chapter 3, verse 1, So Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came up to Horeb, the mountain of God. So a few things just from here. We see that he's pretty far away from Midian. Midian's kind of a general area, but he's over kind of in the Sinai area. Uh, a lot of desert there, a lot of wasteland. Uh, maybe it, it, you had to travel quite a bit to graze the, uh, graze the, the sheep and the, and the animals. But he's over there. It says to the west side of the wilderness. You know, literally, it's the backside of the wilderness. Uh, in, for the Hebrews, if you're facing east, that was the front side. So the backside is, is to the west. And it says Mount Horeb. It's another name for uh, Mount Sinai. And so used with uh, the same names of those two. So that's where he is. Uh, Moses, he is not an independently wealthy person. He's uh, tending the flock for his, for his father-in-law. Uh, through these years, he had not uh, become uh, you know, wealthy. He became a shepherd. And, you know, in, for the Egyptians, they considered the shepherds to be loathsome. They were the lowest of the low. They were the, the scummy shepherds. So he went from being this prince of Egypt to, to the shepherd uh, doing this work year after year. And we know from other places in Scripture, from, well, from uh, Exodus chapter 7 and Acts 7, that it wasn't just a few years. He had been doing this now for, for 40 years. Uh, since he had come out of Egypt and taken up this new life. Uh, as far as chronology, he was about 40 years old when he fled from Egypt. So that's, that's give or take. It's about how old I am right now. I'm uh, 43. Uh, so you think about this. You have one of the newborns that maybe we dedicated you know, earlier this, this month. And by the time they get to be my age, that's how long uh, Moses had been uh, living as a, as a shepherd in, in Midian in that area. So now Moses, it's 40 years gone by, and he's now 80 years old. Time when a lot of people say, well, I've done my part. I've, I've, this, this, there's, I'm past my expiration date. God's not going to use me anymore. Just retired from everything, retired from the, from the Christian life. But we're going to see this is 
spend 40 years of preparing Moses for the ultimate calling that God has for him. That it's at 80 years of age that God is going to call him into the most active service in life he has ever had. And he's going to spend the next 40 years of his life delivering the people out of bondage and and leading them towards the promised land. And I think there's a message there that we need to remember too. That God uses 40 years, yes, to prepare him, to break him from his pridefulness to humility. Later on in Numbers 12, 3, it's going to say that Moses was more humble than any man on the face of the earth. God had changed his character. But also with Moses' age, it should remind us that there's never a time in your life where you should say, I am too old to serve God. If God can start using Moses at the, the young age of 80 and use him for another 40 years of ministry, There should never be a point where you say, well, I'm retired and I'm just retired from the Christian life. Other people can do it now. They can take their turn. I'm I'm done. You may retire from your job and if you've been able to do that, then uh, wonderful. But there never is a time where you retire from the Christian life of service. And we see because it's not our energy or ability that God uses The whole point of this chapter we're going to see is God is the one that is providing this. And God will continue to work through us. So never say, I put in my time. God will not acknowledge your retirement, Christian, from Christian service. Uh, Someone has said that Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was a somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning that he was a nobody. And he spends his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. So Moses is out, he's tending the flock. And verse 2 it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning and yet it was not consumed. So we see some awesome things happening here. Moses is just going about his business like every day for probably the past 40 years. And all of a sudden, bam, we're going to see this encounter happens to him. A life-changing encounter with with the, the living and true God. And just imagine what this was like. It says in this verse, it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And this is a phrase that is used many times in Scripture that is not actually a created angel. It is not a normal angel. Remember, the word for angel basically means messenger. So it it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, Gabriel and Michael and these other angels. The angel of the Lord is a very special messenger of God. And oftentimes when we read it, we see it starts off looking like an angel, then you realize this angel, the, the angel of the Lord, not an angel, the angel Lord, is actually the Lord God himself. And this becomes very clear in this chapter. And, and usually, pretty much when you see that phrase, exactly the angel of the Lord in Scripture, this is a, a what's called a theophany. It's, it's an appearance of uh, the Lord God. Uh, the, and I think there's good reason to believe, actually, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. Because it's usually the Son of God himself is the one that that, that appears, that makes himself, makes God known 
to us. So I think there's good reason to believe this is actually the Son of God himself making himself uh, apparent. He, this isn't the incarnation. That would happen when Jesus comes out and actually takes on human form. Okay, God is not actually becoming a bush at this point. Okay, there, there is no you know, bush man. Okay, Instead, uh, he is appearing in this form. And sometimes he would do that. It was called a theophany, you know, this, this uh, flaming pot. And there were some different, God would appear in these different ways. It was in a, a manifestation, uh, a temporary manifestation to give a glimpse. But it's just a glimpse. I mean, but think of how awesome it must have been. It doesn't describe here. I wonder if there was sound. I wonder if there was, I don't know what the smell would have been like. It's not really burning the, the wood. But it had to be awesome. Because we're going to see from Moses's. Uh, reaction that this was an awesome sight. It was an unusual thing. It said the flames of fire, the midst of the bush, it was burning but not burning. A lot of times we call this the the burning bush, but really it's the not burning bush. Okay, so it's burning in one sense. There are flames coming off of it, but it's not burning up. And this would be an unusual thing. This is partly how Moses knew something strange is going on, something supernatural. Because they're in the desert, there's not a lot of vegetation. Think how, if you have a dry uh, thorn bush out in the desert and it catches on fire, how long does that probably take to just go up and it's gone in the desert? I bet Moses knew for sure. He had been around for 40 years and he knew how long you know, the firewood, when they would you know, have this, would, would go up. And for this thing not to be disintegrated, not to be turning to ash and burning up. This was, this was unusual. I would say, too, there's sometimes scholars that try and give a naturalistic explanation for some of these things. And maybe it was just a special bush that um, had some red flowers on it. And Moses saw this and had the red flowers and maybe the sunlight was hitting it just right and it looked like it was burning. Okay, Moses had been a shepherd for, this wasn't his first day on the job. Okay, 40 years. Okay, he's not going to be fooled by a, a bush with some red flowers on it. And as we're going to see, it also happens to talk to him. Okay, which that normally doesn't happen either. So let's, let's keep reading. And just wrap your minds around this. Try and visualize what this will be like. Your mind can do a better job than any, any motion picture. So it was burning, it was not consumed. It says, and Moses said, I will turn aside to see what great sight and why the bush is not being burned. He's like, I, I need to investigate this. This is something I want, to, I want to check out. Verse 4, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, Moses said, here I am. God had called to him and Moses Responds. So we see this is God appearing to him. And he's, we're going to talk about this a little bit. He's a, God is appearing in the flames of the bush specifically. So God calls to him and Moses responds, Here I am. Because when God calls you, you should answer him. Then he said, God said to him, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. This is not ordinary place. This is, this is special. This is set apart. This is holy ground. That's what holy means. It means separated, set apart. 
This is not ordinary. If you go to somebody's home, oftentimes you will take off your shoes. If you're in the presence of God, there is something special that is going on here. You are on God's territory where, where he is in a special way. But you notice, God doesn't tell him, leave. He invites him to stay. He says, don't come, don't come near, and you've got to take off your, your sandals. God is holy, and it's a gracious, wonderful thing that Moses is allowed to encounter God and allowed to stay there, but he cannot approach him improperly. He's supposed to come on God's terms and in, in the right way. That's a principle all throughout Scripture. We approach God in the right way. But Moses, Moses is afraid. Verse 6, and he said, God says to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So this was, God was identifying who he was. This is the God who had acted in history. He wasn't just some abstract idea of God. And when we think of God, if you say you believe in God, what God do you believe in? Is it just some philosophical abstract idea? Make him into whoever you want. Or the God that has actually revealed himself to humanity in human history. The same God that created Adam and Eve. The same God that appeared to, to Abraham and to, to Isaac and to Jacob and then appears throughout the pages of Scripture. And for us that we know eventually that the God that made himself known to us in Jesus Christ. It's the specific God, the real God that we're to worship and that matters. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This was an awesome sight. When you see, get a glimpse of God for who he really is, this is something that would floor us. It constantly does this. We, if, if you have a God that doesn't make you tremble in the right way, this is probably not the real God. The real God is, is awesome, and you will be awestruck. And this was just a glimpse, okay? This isn't full on who God is. This is like looking at an eclipse through one of those little uh, devices you make where you see the little, you know, have the little pinhole in it. You kind of get a, 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 an idea of what the eclipse is like because it's too much for you to really handle. And even this is this mind-blowing, amazing thing, this encounter that Moses is having. Let me keep reading. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of the taskmasters. I know their sufferings. God knows the sufferings of his people. God knows your sufferings. He knows what you're going through. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Oh, I could spend time just thinking about words there. God has come down. God is de descended. We worship a God that doesn't just stay up in the heavens, but a God that, that, that descends to help us. And of course, as Christians, this makes us think ahead to the, the Son of God when he would, would, he would come down in this permanent way, becoming a human being that we celebrate on, on Christmas when Jesus Christ is incarnate becomes a human being for us in order to go to the cross to save us from our sins by dying in our place. Thank God that we worship a God that is willing to come down to deliver us 
Because we're in slavery, we need deliverance too. For we're in slavery to sin. Just as the Hebrews were in slavery to the Egyptians. So verse 8, And I've come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. This is modern day, the land of Israel. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But God said to Moses, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. He's giving this prophecy that you would know this is God because this would come true eventually. Notice Moses is saying, who am I? You've given me this calling. But I have, I have no confidence that I can do this. My confidence has been shattered. Who am I to do this? He no longer viewed himself as this mighty prince of Egypt that, oh, I can do all this. But yet God was still calling him to serve. God was calling him to be at, for God to be at work through him to deliver the people. But notice what God had said to him. He says, I will be with you. That's the key. That God was going to be with him. And I said, I've been pondering, why a bush? Why is it that God appears in this burning bush? Okay, and if, you know, maybe you had flannel graphs of this as a kid in Sunday school and whatever, and we're just, maybe you're used to it, maybe you're not. Maybe this is striking you. Like, why would this be a, a, a bush? And so you think through the options, and uh, my first thought is, well, maybe it symbolizes the cross. I don't know. But then again, it's, this isn't like a tree. It's a little, probably a scraggly little thorn bush. Probably just a few you know, feet in diameter. This would be some dry, you know, scrubby bush existing out in the wilderness in the desert. One of the few things that was growing there. Probably something that normally, if a spark hits it or whatever, or lightning or whatever, you get the bonfire too close, it just goes up. This bush was, this was nothing. So you think, well, why would this happen? And I think one of the things I realize is, I don't think that God was appearing as the bush. Let me explain what I mean. I think the bush was already there. Okay, I think, you know, if you came the day before, there was just a bush. Because it doesn't say that God was appearing as the bush. God was appearing as the fire and speaking through the fire that was on the bush. So maybe this, maybe that means something. You think about it, and I don't know if we can say with, with certainty. And the big thing is this, the fire is on here, and the fire symbolizes God's presence, sometimes judgment, holiness. Okay, but it's, it's on the bush. It's not burning it up, so that's a miraculous sign. Okay. Uh, but the fact that it's not burning it up means that the, the flames are not really being fueled by the bush. Okay, the flames are not really being fueled by the, by the wood. There's flames coming off it, but it's not burning it up. It's, the, the, the wood is not actually contributing to the flames. But yet the flames have, have come upon this. Maybe 
Maybe what he was trying to communicate with this ordinary bush, and yeah, there weren't a lot of other options out in the desert. I mean, the flames could have appeared on a rock, I guess, or uh, a goat. That would be a strange thing. So I, I get why God didn't do that. That would be terrifying. But just this ordinary bush. Maybe what is meant to be communicated is, is that God can come upon even the most ordinary, insignificant thing that there is. This dry, thorn bush. And Moses, who had no confidence, God is appearing to him in this, in this bush. And he's saying, you know what? In the same way that I'm appearing in this bush, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you like, like flame on wood. Okay? So I'm going to be with you. But you know what? My activity and everything, it's not going to depend on you. You are not the one providing the fuel for this. My activity, this is self-fueled. This is all from me. That God is a God who is self-sufficient. God would come upon Moses. God comes upon the, the ordinary for his purposes. And then we're going to see that God also, he reveals himself more to Moses. And here he gives him a sacred name for God. Tells him who, at core of his essence and who he is. The Lord reveals himself to Moses as, I am who I am. We sang that in one of the songs. This is where it comes from. God appears to Moses, I am who I am. Verse 13, Then Moses said to God, said, okay, you're going to be with me. You're going to send me to, to, to Egypt, to my uh, Hebrew brothers and sisters there. A lot of them, they don't remember me because it's been 40 years. Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And Moses must have thought this might be something that they, they would ask. Um, even though it's, it's still the, the God of Abraham and, and Isaac, but they might want more specifics. And Verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I want you to ponder that all week long. What does that mean? God revealing himself. He could have picked anything. I mean, God is the God that gets to name himself. You've named your children. You've picked out something you thought was nice. may have some special meaning that we have. Uh, see, my daughter Zoe. Zoe is the, the Greek word for life. And a lot of people in Scripture, their names meant something. You know, Abraham, God of many nations. Moses, drawn from, from the water. So if God is naming himself, this, this means something. Why is he picking this? Think of all the things that fit into this. That He says, I am who I am. And God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered through all generations. Now, in your Bible, in that verse, you see the word Lord. If you have a Bible, like most do, you'll notice there the word Lord is spelt with all capital letters. And this is a way for, in our translations to know when this most sacred name of God is being used, Yahweh. In Hebrew, it's, it's, it's sometimes called the tetragrammaton, which means four letters. 
because in, in Hebrew, it's basically uh, Y-H-W-H, this most sacred name for God. And this is related to uh, the meaning of I am who I am. And it was considered so sacred by the, the Jews that they would often, they wouldn't say it. Sometimes they wouldn't even write the whole thing. They'd use little dashes. They considered it so sacred. So sometimes when he uses Lord and it's written with a lowercase as well, it's uh, one of the different words, or Adonai, but when you see it with all uppercase, with the small uppercase, it's this word Yahweh. has this idea of God as the self-existent one. It ties back to I am who I am. And in Genesis and before this, God had used this name. You see this written down. Uh, so some of them, they knew it, whether it was forgotten. But one thing that God was doing, he's saying, at this point, I'm going to show you the meaning of this name. I'm going to make you realize how significant this is through what I do delivering my people out of Israel. That I am the self-existent one. I am who I am. It's God's name of his, his special covenant name. It ties into his special intimate relationship with his people. That God keeps his covenants because he is a God that does not change. Verse 16, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord your God, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt into a land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. We're going to see God doing that in the next chapters. uh, That God will use his mighty hand to compel this to happen. Verse 20, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. You're going to leave, and you're not even going to leave empty. You're going to have the riches of Egypt with you. Watch and see how that happens. But each woman shall t- ask of her neighbor and every, any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, and so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Be kind of this amazing thing to believe that this is going to happen unless God is appearing to you in a flaming bush that's not being burnt up, then you can trust him. But before we move on, next week we'll get into chapter 4, 5, and 6. I encourage you to read ahead. We won't be able to read all those chapters out loud in the sermon. But I want to think of the implications of God being the God who is the I Am. And what does this mean? What, what are the characteristics of God that we should believe and the first, this is God is a God who is self-existing. He is a God that exists all on his own. He doesn't need something else to create him. He doesn't need some kind of other fuel to fuel him. He's self-existing. He is, he is self-fueled. He is uncreated. He didn't even create himself. 
If someone asks you, well, if everything is created, then who created God? The correct answer is nobody created God. God didn't even create Himself because He didn't need to be created. He's different than everything else that you see. Everything you look around this room had a Creator, something that brought it into existence, something that upholds its existence. There's nothing else behind God that created Him. There's nothing else underneath God that holds Him up. He is the foundation for everything, for for all reality. He is the the self-existing, self-sufficient, uncreated God. This is different than any of these these false gods. Any idea of the, the gods from mythology. The God is this whole different category. This means that God also has no needs. He doesn't need us to fuel Him. We get to serve Him. He doesn't need us. God is a God that is unchanging. We don't have to worry about Him using up His fuel. We don't need to worry about Him running down. We don't have to flan, fan His flames back into existence. Do you notice when God says who He is? He, doesn't, he, doesn't, he says, I am who I am. He doesn't say, I used to be this person. He doesn't say, I used to be the God of Abraham. God never is a God who used to be something. What He was, He is. And what He is, He will be. This God does not change, and that is a good thing for you and me. Okay, Because the God that we trust in for the promises that He is making, just like the promises He's making to Moses, is the God that's going to deliver because He's not going to change His mind. He's all of a sudden not going to change it. Oh, I would have done it before. I could have done it then, but I can't do it now. He can still deliver. He can still do this. He's not a God that gives up His covenant promises. Malachi 3.6 For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. When God loves you, when you trust Him as Savior and He loves you, when, when, when you screw up, when you, when you sin, He's not going to consume you because He has given you this salvation that He is not going to take away. He's going to keep His covenant promises. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Tonight, as, as you are out, or tomorrow and you're, you're celebrating Memorial Day weekend, you're thinking about the, those that have fought for our freedom, and as the day goes on and you see the shadows changing, and you see the shadows grow long, and our, our beautiful, long Michigan nights, remember God's shadow doesn't change. It doesn't shift. He is the same. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. There are many people that part of their identity is used to be something. I used to have this career. I used to do that. Maybe it's something you're, you're proud of. Maybe it's something you're not proud of. God never has a used to be. There are sports figures that used to be in their prime. Musicians that used to be famous or movie stars. God always is the same. Who, who is God today? Same as always. God doesn't change, but He changes people. And God is self-defining. He gets to define Himself. Notice, again, what God doesn't say. When Moses said, what is my name? Who am I? 
He, God doesn't reply and say, I am whoever you want me to be. Who would you like me to be? What would make you happy? I'll, I'll, I'll be a chameleon. I'll shift and I'll, I'll be that. Oh, you don't like who I am? Ah, uh, am I too much for you? I'll, I'll change and I'll do something else. You don't like, oh, I got some, you don't like my rules and my, uh, well, I'll get with the times, okay? God isn't worried about, like, oh, I don't want to be on the wrong side of history as God. I, I better get up with the times. God is not changing. He's not saying, whoever you want me to be, God is the God that defines himself. And so if you have a view of God where you say, well, my God wouldn't do this, my God wouldn't do that, are you defining the God that gets to define himself? Okay, start with how he defines himself. Start with how he reveals himself, how he is in his unchanging nature revealed in this word. And we're the ones that change. If you have an idea of God that's wrong, change it to fit what's in this word because God is not going to change. You don't get to customize God. I want to point this out too. When you have a chance, take a look at John chapter 8. Because you have this, and then you have something that happens with Jesus Christ. The Pharisees are arguing with him. He's getting into this long discussion with him. And at the end, he's talking about uh, who is, what is his identity, who he is. Uh, he's telling them that the Pharisees, their, their father really isn't Abraham. Their father's the devil because they're not living for God. They're not in right relationship. But at the end of this chapter, <coughs> Jesus says, well, I'll read, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, God the Father, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. And Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day in he saw it and he was glad. And so the Jews, the, the unbelieving Pharisees, said to him, You are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Thinking, unlikely, that was 2,000 years ago. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, he says, Before Abraham was, I am. Now with Exodus 3 in mind, do you realize what he's claiming? Because Jesus didn't say, before Abraham was, I was, I was as well. That would be staggering as well to say, I've been existing for at least 2,000 years. But he specifically said, I am. And they knew what he was claiming. Because in the next verse, 59, it says, so they picked up stones to throw at him. They were going to kill him from blasphemy because they realized he's claiming to be the God of the Old Testament. He's claiming to be Yahweh. He's claiming to be the God of the burning bush. Same God. And you know what? Jesus Christ, that's who he is. God is holy. God is unchanging. God will never lower his standards so that we can approach him. Instead, the Son of God came. He descended and became a human being. He became the God-man. And he did what was necessary through his perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, so that we can approach the holy and unchanging God. If you will accept Jesus Christ as your Savior from your sins, realizing and admitting that you are a sinner, and it is a terrible, bad thing 
but coming to him as the one that wants to offer you this free gift of forgiveness that he earned completely. You don't earn any of it. He earned it for you because Jesus Christ died on the cross. If you trust him, if you accept him by faith, you will know, you will find an all-sufficient Savior who died for you to do what you can't. And we'll find that we can live for him, we can minister. See, you are insufficient. You're not self-sufficient. You are, you and I, we are insufficient. But God, God is self-sufficient and so he will be our sufficiency. It's not a matter of choosing between our pride and self-confidence and self-sufficiency. And the other option is just having no confidence at all. The biblical thing, like Moses was being called to do, is to find our sufficiency, to find our confidence in him. The one that will be with us. The one that will empower us. The one that will never leave our side. God sends us Yes, he does. He, Jesus Christ sends us into the nations to baptize and to make disciples of all nations. And he says, I will be with you always to the ends of the age. God sends us. He will be with us. The Lord never changes. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this glimpse that you have revealed to us of your transcendent glory. Help us to take this to heart, to, to be amazed, to think about what this means, that you are this self-sufficient, awesome, holy God. We thank you that you have descended, that you have, you have stooped down. You, you came to Moses, and you, even more, you come to us through Jesus Christ. Because we could never, as sinners, approach you on our own. We would be, we would be destroyed eternally and forever. Lord, we deserve condemnation forever. But Jesus, you, you took our condemnation on the cross for anyone that will trust you and turn to you as their Savior and Lord. So God, help each of us to not be self-confident and self-sufficient, but help us to find our confidence and our sufficiency in you. You are the fire that, that never burns out. You deserve all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.